today. We talk about all that we learned yesterday on election day. And we also cover the questions that we are still asking, the answers that we are still seeking on election day round two. All of this and more on another episode of Refining Politics and Culture with Michael Seifert. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Refining Politics and Culture, where we explore what it looks like together to have vitally important political, cultural, and faith conversations, all with the ultimate goal of exuding truth and love, conviction, and grace in our discourse. Happy day after the election, although it's really election day round two. Wow. It has been a wild 24 hours. There's so much that's taken place. I slept a grand total of about an hour and five minutes last night. <laughs> it, it was very, uh, and that was really an accident. I didn't even really mean to. It's just at some point my body shut down. But there was so much taking place, and the circumstances of the election would change moment by moment, and results were pouring in, and it was just impossible to get much sleep. Couldn't look away from it. And so right now, I can say this confidently. There is so much up in the air, a lot of questions we do not have answers to. And I'm looking forward to covering this in great detail. At the end of the day, I want to reiterate what I said yesterday in my episode. Of the increase of God's government and of his peace, there shall be no end. That's what the Bible has to say about the reality of peace that is available to us, regardless of our earthly circumstances. We can know and trust that Jesus Christ is victorious over all the circumstances of this earth, regardless of the outcome of the election. There are clear paths to victory for Trump and Biden here. And so there's a lot that we still don't know, a lot that could take place over the next 24, 48 hours. At the end of the day, regardless of how it goes, we get to enjoy this process and we get to be at peace because we get to know that, you know what, we've done everything that we can. We put our vote in. We voted what we believe are God's principles and his values as he's outlined in scripture. And now at the end of the day, we just have to trust. And so I- I'm, I'm really encouraged by the way in which people are pressing in in this season and engaging in the process and are paying attention. They're not disengaging. They're still in the world, but they're not of the world. And I think that's important as well. We, it, we need to be involved intricately in politics, intentionally. Obviously, I wouldn't be doing the show otherwise. But the minute that politics becomes our God, that's when our peace gets knocked off course. And that's when we begin to set our sights on things other than Christ. And so I'm really thankful that we get to do the both. We get to enjoy politics and engage intentionally so that we can make our communities look more like the kingdom of heaven. And at the same time, we know that Jesus Christ is victorious over this earth ultimately, and we get to trust him and have peace at the end of the day. So amen there. Now, a lot's taken place. There's a lot of questions, like I mentioned, that we don't have answers to. A lot that we do know, a lot that's shocking, a lot that's surprising, a lot that I actually predicted and many other people predicted, but the media refused to acknowledge and the pollsters got completely wrong. We're gonna get into a lot of this. I wanna give a bit of a heads up here. We're going to talk more in depth about the nitty gritty major themes and lessons from the evening in the coming days. But today in this episode, I really want to keep it to the results of the election. So I'll talk a little bit about the lessons that we kind of learned last night on more of a high level scope. But I want to spend the majority of our time together talking about uh, the results as they're coming in. Where do we still stand? What needs to happen in order to project different paths of victory uh, for for Trump, for Biden? We're going to kind of look at what what the layout of our electoral college is currently and some of the issues that we're having in some of these various states. So Stay tuned in. I've got an episode coming out tomorrow. I'll have an episode coming out Friday. I'm going to be covering this day by day. Also, if you do not follow me on Instagram yet, please do that. I'm posting a story post about every 15 minutes about a new development in the election. You can follow me on Instagram at Seifert. 
and would be happy to engage with you there. That's something that I uh, have tried to really prioritize in the past few weeks leading up to this election and something that I'm really looking forward to prioritizing into the future. Finally, I'll say this. uh, If you are not subscribed to the show, make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That way you get notified when a new episode is released. I'm going to release an episode, like I mentioned, again tomorrow and Friday, continually keeping up to date with the results of the election as they are coming out minute by minute, second by second. So let's jump into this. I want to organize my episode right now into four thoughts. And again, this episode won't be long because I'm really going to keep it succinct and I want to be on top of it producing a lot of content over the next few uh, hours and days. So I'll keep this succinct to what's taking place right now because honestly, uh, I could go on tangents about some of the lessons we learned last night and end up talking for hours, which is are things that we will certainly talk about over the next few weeks. But four thoughts I have. First is this, the media and the polls were disastrous last night, even worse than 2016. And polling as an industry is due for a reckoning, a big awakening. They need to have an honest conversation. They need to have a come to Jesus meeting and exercise some humility and say, you know what? We are getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to be wrong. We are utterly wrong. We do not know the country that we attempt to poll. I remember just yesterday, Joe Biden up 17 points in the national average. And it hasn't even been close. He's up two in the national average in the popular vote. A lot of these swing states, oh, Joe Biden's going to run away with it. Won't even be close. And they kind of covered their tracks a little bit to say, but you never know. And at the end of the day, that, that's, that's just them covering their bases so they can come back and say, well, we weren't totally wrong. We still said there was a possibility Trump could win. Yet, even though we gave Joe Biden an eight-point lead in Ohio, for example, or in Minnesota or Michigan or some of these different uh, states that are very tight and very close right now or went completely the other way like Ohio did for Trump. So polling as an industry is broken. And unless polling agencies like Quinnipiac, Real Clear Politics, 538, Nate Silver, some of these famous Quinn- uh, Monmouth or, um, or even some of the major media polling agencies like Fox News, CBS, ABC polls, uh, if these polling agencies don't start to look like Trafalgar Group a whole lot more, or Rasmussen a whole lot more, who are actually consistently calling these elections a lot closer in this modern era with the new demographic shift in our politics. Unless these mainstream polling agencies and these mainstream media organizations are willing to humble themselves and look more like and learn from the organizations that have been doing it well, like Trafalgar Group. If you don't, if you're not familiar with Trafalgar Group, that's Robert Cahaley. He was right in 2016. He was one of the only people that was. If they don't start to look like that and learn more from him, then they do not deserve any sort of voice in our national conversation anymore. Because for the last five, six months, they have led Americans to believe that this election was essentially in the bag for the Democrats, and it is not. There are clear paths to victory for Trump and Biden right here in the 11th hour. And many of these states that they said would go overwhelmingly to Biden have not even been close. Texas, they told us, was in play. It was not in play. Not even remotely. Ohio, they said, was in play. It was not in play. Florida, they said, was in play. Trump ran away with Florida. He only lost in Miami by seven points. He lost in Miami in 2016 by 30 points. So polling's broken. The mainstream media is broken. And it's up to us to hold them accountable. How do we do that? Well, we call them out in a loving way. We call them out. We don't keep tolerating this. We raise awareness to the problems with the polls. We raise awareness to the problems with the mainstream media. We don't keep watching CNN and giving their, uh, them our viewership time when they have proven that they are unworthy of it. And it's not unloving to say that. 
These are industries in our country that dictate so much of public perception. And when they are almost intentionally misguiding the public, they do not deserve the public's trust. And what we saw last night is that this election, regardless of the ultimate outcome at the end of the day, it has been a referendum on our ruling class DC, New York establishment elite media and pollsters. They were wrong and they were wrong big time. And it's important that we recognize that. So the second thought I have is sort of similar, and it's not something I want to harp on a ton right now because we're going to talk about it a lot over the next coming weeks, and we've talked about this a lot in the show so far. It was illuminated last night more than ever. Over the past decade, there has been a massive shift in our politics, a massive shift in the democratic, or excuse me, the demographics of the Democrat and the Republican Party, what they prioritize, their policy agendas. And I'm sorry to be this bold, but I'm going to. If you still believe that Democrats are the party of the little guy after last night's results, Ah, you're missing it. At the end of the day, that's so far from the truth. What we learned last night is that Democrats are the party of the white, college-educated, middle-upper-class, suburbia-slash-coastal elites, not the party of the working class or the little guy. Trump won the union vote in Ohio. Trump crushed it among Hispanics in the Rio Grande Valley and in Florida. He only lost Miami by seven points. He lost Miami by 30 points in 2016. And none of the media, none of the pollsters are talking about this because it hurts them to have to recognize that Trump crushed it among minorities. While they've tried to paint him as this racist Hitler figure over the last four years, Americans don't buy it. They have not been buying it. And finally, this was hopefully a wake-up call for them to see that the Republican Party is the party of the middle class, working average Americans that just want to conserve the values that makes America special. They don't want to sell our jobs out to China. They don't really care about joining the World Health Organization. They'd rather not. They're not ultimately concerned about rejoining the Paris Climate Accords because they know it didn't work in the first place. They know that overregulation hurts our economy and that it actually decentivizes businesses to stay here. They know that Trump's not a racist. They know that he's condemned white supremacy 38 times in his presidency, more than any other president has ever been asked to in U.S. history. So what the media has portrayed these two parties to represent is so different than what actually took place last night. We saw that in uh, the even the fundraising efforts. I talked about that on Saturday. We know that Joe Biden's mega donors and those that were supporting him was Hollywood, the big tech elite, big media, um, the multinational corporations, the Wall Street banks, Hollywood. That was Trump's ba- or that was Biden's base. Excuse me. It was the Hollywood Santa Monica globalist elite. That's who's supporting him. And in the meantime, same time, who was supporting Trump? The grassroots movement, average Americans, small business owners, people that just want to provide income for their family and live peaceful and quiet lives and are not ultimately concerned about regulating our economy into oblivion. That's not their concern. They actually want a, a financial future and a socioeconomic future and a social future for their kids where they are not ostracized for their conservative beliefs. They're not forced into admitting or uh, what's the what's the word I'm looking for here? They're not forced into accepting culture's definition of gender rather than a biblical definition of gender or a scientific definition of gender. And this was clearly put on display last night. Florida was big evidence of this. Ohio was big evidence of this. Uh, the voting turnouts, regardless of how it goes in Minnesota and Wisconsin, the voting turnouts in a lot of these cities and rural regions uh, showed that to be the case. We saw in Kenosha, Trump crushed it in Kenosha. So it's also the law and order message that while Americans, uh, the sort of progressives have been saying defund the police and we need all these massive uh, strip rollbacks of police funding, most Americans don't want that, especially in places that have been ravaged by violence like Kenosha. They're not into that. And they see Trump as the law and order candidate that can actually make sure that we are appreciating our 
uh, service men and women that put their lives on the line every single day to protect us and not ostracize them for doing their jobs. Doesn't mean that they're not bad apples. There certainly are. And we should call them out. And you're not going to see any conservative that disagrees with you there. You're not going to see one conservative that argues that all cops are good. Nobody's arguing that. What we are arguing for is that you stop hating on these people as an entire entity that literally lay down their lives for little to no pay to keep us safe. Americans resonated with that last night, and they gave the vote to Trump because of that. Again, we saw this in the Rio Grande Valley. We saw this in union workers in Ohio. We're seeing it in the early turnouts in Pennsylvania that a lot of these Western Pennsylvania voters do not want a removal of the oil industry and the fracking and the natural gas industry from Pennsylvania. They do not want the transition away from the oil industry like Biden talked about in the last debate. They don't want that. They want a preservation of, of course, efficiency. They, they want their industry to be efficient, but they trust the private industry to be able to do that more than the government just regulating it into oblivion. So that's my second thought. The realignment's present and the media establishment, the pollsters, aver- uh, a lot of kind of like average Americans living in these big coastal cities that just swore that Biden was going to run away with this thing. Uh, they missed it. Third thought is this. I mentioned on Saturday that there are really three possible scenarios of how this race would go. The first was that Biden would win the Electoral College and the uh, popular vote on election night or the morning after. It would be very clear. Second option was that Trump would win the Electoral College but lose the popular vote on either election night or the morning after, and it would be clear. The third option, and this is what's taken place, it would be utter chaos. So something would go wrong or a multitude of things would go wrong that would create an environment in which essentially our process is confusing and it's litigated. It probably heads to the courts and there's recounts and there's a lot of things involved that look a lot like a Bush v. Gore situation. The Supreme Court gets involved. That's what we're seeing. So even just this morning, uh, the Trump campaign the senior advisor, or actually the Trump campaign manager, Bill Steffen, came out and released a statement, despite ridiculous public polling used as a voter suppression tactic, true, Wisconsin has been a razor-thin race, as we always knew that it would be. There have been reports of irregularities in several Wisconsin counties, which raise serious doubts about the validity of the results. The president is well within the threshold to request a recount, and we will immediately do so. So we are already seeing the Trump campaign move to say, regardless of how Wisconsin goes, if it stays uh, where it's at, and unless something massively different happens, uh, we are going to take this to the courts. You've heard a lot of the Trump campaign lawyers getting ready. Uh, ultimately, a lot of these mail-in ballots have caused a ton of issues that they didn't start counting them until the end of the day. And there's a lot of counties that the Trump campaign has basically been arguing that their analysts have said that they've missed. They have not taken into account a lot of these Trump voters um, from the day of election. So We're going to see how that goes there. But I only mentioned that story just to say that the third scenario is unfolding and it's unfolding quickly. I think both campaigns are prepped. They've I've heard that both the Biden and the Trump campaign both have their legal teams on it and ready to roll in litigating this process. Um, And Trump said in his speech last night at 2.30 in the morning in the White House that this is something that he assumes will go to the Supreme Court. This third scenario is unfolding. What's our responsibility in the middle of all that as believers? It's to pray. Pray that anything that's been done in the dark would be brought to the light, first of all. So no fraud, no controversy. This is too important of an election to have a bunch of hidden agendas hidden behind a curtain that we don't know the full extent of. Let's bring everything out in the open, bring all the ballots out into the open, make sure that they're legal ballots, and then count those ballots and delegate a winner off of that. We need to pray that that takes place and that there's nothing that's hidden in the dark that's not brought into the light. 
Our responsibility is to pray for God's peace amidst the circumstance that no riots would break out, that people wouldn't take to the streets in their violent uh, and, ex- and exercise violence as a part of venting their emotions. We pray that that does not happen, that people exercise emotional maturity right now. That is certainly our prayer. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But the third scenario is happening. It is something that I'm going to be covering a great deal. I am covering minute by minute on my Instagram. I'm covering uh, today, tomorrow, and Friday in the um, in the podcast. And if it continues into the future, we will be covering it for the days or weeks to come. Fourth and final thought is this. There's so much that went wrong last night with the evening. So much that went wrong. From random votes appearing in Wisconsin in places that they hadn't really accounted for to Arizona being called far too early. So actually, I want to read you some uh, data out of Arizona. So Trump is on course to get the... uh, Hold on, let me go... Um, actually, I want to read that to you. I'm kind of diverting here, but going back to my earlier point, listen to this. Trump's on course to get the highest share of non-white voter for a Republican presidential candidate since Nixon in 1960. That's incredible. So Trump got more of the minority vote in the Republican Party since any candidate since 1960. That's huge. And again, it's evidence of what we just talked about. There's a massive realignment. All five of the House votes that flipped to Republicans, by the way, were won by minorities and women for the Republicans. The diverse working class coalition is taking over the Republican Party, and it is amazing from different backgrounds and different cultures with a common love and value and a desire to conserve what makes America special. And I love it. I think the future of the Republican Party needs to look a whole mo- a lot more like that, a whole lot more like the policies of Trump than the policies of Mitt Romney, for example. So I think the Republican Party is better off for this massive alignment that's taking place. I want to read you this data, though, going back to Arizona. So when Fox called Arizona for Biden last night, Biden was leading by more than 200,000 votes with only 73% reporting. As of right now, with 84% reporting, Biden's lead's been cut to 93,000 votes. Trump is closing in. A lot of the counties in Arizona that are more uh, conservative in nature have not been accounted for. Now they are saying in Arizona that 86 of the vote has been accounted for, 86%. So I uh, apologize there. It was off by 2% on how much has been counted. The vote is coming in, and the what we are seeing is that a lot of these heavily conservative counties have still take um, Cochise County in southeast Arizona right here. Only 76% of the votes have been reported, and currently it's going 57 to 40 for Trump. We are seeing uh, another county, Greenlee County, which is a heavily Trump county, going 64 to 34 for Trump, and that's only 76% of the vote is counted. We've got Yuma County in the southwest portion of Arizona, a much more populated county, and that's got 93% of the votes reported, but Trump's winning handily there. So there's more votes to come in from across this state. And then, of course, you've got Maricopa County, which is the largest county in Arizona by population. And Joe Biden's winning that county at the moment, but there's a lot of Trump voters there. And 86% only has been reported. So last night, Fox News called Arizona so prematurely. AP jumped on about two hours later and also called it. But the New York Times still hasn't called it. CNN still hadn't called it. MSNBC hadn't called it. And they'd have every reason ideologically to want to because of their bias. So Arizona was called so early. Overall, Fox did such a poor job last night. 
It was like they were looking for Biden to win. They were not objective. It was very interesting. I think Trump's recent criticisms about Fox News have been absolutely right. And I think they need to just come out and say, hey, we have a bias in this too. And it's not leaning. Now, of course, you have the Tucker Carlson's, the Sean Hannity's, the Laura Ingram's that are certainly conservative and are unapologetic about that. But a lot of their daytime news hosts or a lot of these analysts that come on and talk about elections are incredibly left-leaning. And it's almost like they were, I flipped back and forth between CNN and Fox last night. CNN was being more fair about the race than even Fox was. And so uh, Maricopa County, for example, there's a lot of votes that need to be counted there. We do not have enough results to call this state. And yet Fox went and called it 12 hours ago. So in fact, there is a, I want to read you another, uh, another statistic here. Here you go. So the, the breakdown is in line with what we are estimating and why we believe Donald Trump could carry Arizona. This is data orbital. So these ballots that are still coming in are heavenly Republican and will break in his favor. We estimate about 500,000 outstanding ballots. And the ballots that are counted are from election day voting. So different than Wisconsin and Pennsylvania when they're basically counting all mail-in ballots. Right now, uh, Arizona is counting election day ballots from yesterday. And we know that the election day voters broke heavily for Trump. There's so much that could go on in Arizona. Now, I'm not saying I'm confident that Trump will necessarily win Arizona, but it was so premature to call it. And there was actually reports that came out last night that said that there were still voters in line when Fox was starting to speak about Arizona strongly heading toward Biden. That's insane. What does that project? If you're watching Fox on your phone, what does that do if you're sitting in line waiting and you're hungry and Fox is coming on saying, well, but basically there's no shot. Biden's got Arizona. What are you going to do? You're probably going to leave the line. And so that's a form of even voter suppression that's really unacceptable. So I commend CNN for holding off on that. And I think that was a major criticism of Fox. I think that was a massive fail last night. Um, we are seeing in states like Nevada, where there's a lot of the vote that has been kind of, uh, overshadowed at the moment that pollsters and the media is not taken into account for the Trump campaign still believes they have a strong chance of winning Nevada. We've seen in Georgia yesterday where the polling system went down, uh, you had the sewage, the water line leak, you had, uh, the machines coming down in a very heavily Trump County, 67,000 voters in a very Trump County, uh, in Georgia, they're all of their electronic polling system went down. In Arizona, there's a report that we could possibly be seeing a Sharpie issue where essentially people were outside of polling places in Trump counties in Arizona that heavily favored Republicans and to conservative voters would come up and give them Sharpies or have them uh, request that they vote with Sharpies. And if you fill out a ballot with a Sharpie, there's a high chance that it'll actually get rejected. So we'll see how that unfolds. That is a report that is being investigated right now among the election officials in Arizona. We'll see how that actually plays out. So I'm not holding anybody to that at the moment. I'm just saying that that's a possibility. There's been video that's released of somebody encountering this very set of circumstances where essentially they were given a Sharpie and then the ballot rejected. So if you live in Arizona, I highly recommend checking your ballot digitally, making sure that it was indeed counted and not rejected. Um, All of this could play out in litigation. Trump like I mentioned, is saying the courts will get involved. Biden is saying that he's willing for his lawyers to get involved. And we could end up in a situation where all of these circumstances, state by state, that have all these voting issues that have led to snafus in very close races are put under a spotlight and really examined as they should be. Because again, our prayer should be that anything that's been done in the dark would be brought into the light, whether it's the Sharpie issue or Pennsylvania with uh, votes being counted that 
aren't even postmarked by election day, which is crazy. Can't believe we're actually there. But the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania essentially ruling that's the case. Then the Supreme Court of the United States kicking the ball down the road and deferring the call, which I think could really kind of bite them in the rear end if they're not careful over the next few weeks. If they end up having to take back that case, they hopefully learn their lesson to say, if they get a case like that, the Supreme Court should have taken it early so that they can say, let's get rid of all these snafus at the beginning. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons. With all that went wrong, it all could have been alleviated. Fauci even said a month ago, we are all safe to vote in person. So why was there this surge to mail everyone a ballot? It's because the Democrats knew that it would favor them. Every single registered voter in California received a mailed ballot. That's not good. You should have to request them in an absentee ballot system. We should prioritize people voting in person, especially in a country of 330 million people in a lot of these states that have never tried mass scale mail-in ballots before. There's only five states that have done mail-in ballots repeatedly over the past few election cycles. If you ask the election officials in Georgia, who's been doing it for a long time, they'll tell you it took them years to get it right. So... For us to have thought that, yeah, this is a good idea. We'll just mail everyone a ballot. We don't have the postal system in the United States that could really handle this. But let's go for it anyways. We'll see how it goes. We don't even need to start counting these ballots till Election Day. Oh, and we don't need them postmarked by Election Day either. We'll just assume that if the signature doesn't match or if it, the postmark date's a little scribbled, we'll assume it was by November 3rd. That's literally what the language says in the Supreme Court decision in Pennsylvania. It's just an awful idea. And all of this chaos could have been alleviated. So if I sound a little frustrated there... Again, I'm, I'm not even as much frustrated with people. I'm frustrated with the mindsets that led to people to believe that all of this was necessary in the first place. So those are my four main thoughts. For the rest of this episode, I want to break it down with where we stand in these different battleground states, because there are paths to victory for both Trump and Biden. And these are things that, like I mentioned, we will continue covering over the next few hours and the next few days. Make sure you're checking in tomorrow morning for my episode as well. Hopefully we have results by then. But I want to go state by state here, and I want to start with Georgia. So Georgia currently is uh, about 83,000 votes in favor of Trump with 93% estimated votes reported. So that's 50% for Trump and that is 48.5% for Biden. Now, apparently the Trump campaign feels very confident that they will hold on to Georgia. Uh, Democrats do not feel as confident in Georgia. The Biden campaign has said that that's something that they're pushing for, but they don't feel as confident in Georgia as they do in a state like Wisconsin or Michigan, for example. So that's Georgia. Uh, and we also know that in the Senate race there, uh, the race between Ossoff and Purdue, it looks like Purdue, the Republican, will win that race with more than 50% of the vote, hopefully so that it doesn't have to go to a runoff. By the way, quick break here. The Senate was a massive win for the Republicans last night. This was a major polling issue. I know I've really just focused on their presidential race here because I know that's the big one that we're waiting on, uh, especially because it does look like the Republicans will keep hold of the Senate. But the Republicans in the Senate and in the House, honestly, they picked up five seats so far, had a result that blew the projections way out of the water. So, so awesome for the Republicans in the Senate that they've been able to, at least what it appears to be, hold on. There's not a ton of path to victory, paths to victory for the Democrats at this point in the Senate. They would have to pull off a miracle in that Georgia race, push it to a runoff. They would have to have a miracle in the Cal Cunningham race against Tom Tillis. It looks like Tom Tillis has won that race in North Carolina, and he actually did an acceptance speech last night. It looks like John James will win the race in Michigan. So the Republicans have had a fantastic turnout in the Senate tonight. We saw Doug Jones be beat in Alabama to Tommy Tuberville. Great news there. Uh, so that's something that the media sold us on. In fact, even the pollsters said, a lot of the mainstream pollsters, like I remember Monmouth or Quinnipiac said, you know, even if Trump wins the, the presidency, it's almost guaranteed that the Democrats pick up the Senate and gain seats in the House. And neither of those two things have happened. 
The Democrats have lost seats in the House, and it does not look like they're going to take the Senate. So I wanted to take a quick break there and address that. Now let's head to North Carolina. North Carolina should be a solid win for Trump. Um, the Trump campaign even feels more strong about North Carolina than they do Georgia. The Biden campaign has really kind of almost all but conceded this race. I mean, they've still expressed that they have some hope, but at the end of the day, it's looking like as the vote comes in more and more that uh, Donald Trump will win this state. Currently, uh, the race is about 80,000 votes as well with 95% of estimated votes reporting, 50.1% for Donald Trump and 48.7% for Joe Biden. We'll see how that plays out over the next few hours as that final 5% comes in. All right, now let's head to Wisconsin. It looks like actually this is breaking news. CNN has just called Wisconsin for Biden. Now, uh, again, the, the voting layout currently in Wisconsin has Donald Trump at 48.8% and Joe Biden at 49.4%. And the reality is, like we just mentioned, this will likely be litigated or it will be brought to a recount. Donald Trump has promised that. We'll see how that plays out, but wanted to uh, give you that news there. That makes the path to victory for Biden a lot more doable here, but there's a lot that's up in the air. Let's go to Michigan. Michigan's really interesting. So Michigan currently has Joe Biden at 49.5% and Donald Trump at 48.8% with 94% of the votes reported. But here's a county that's very important to pay attention to. Antrim County. So it's in the northwest uh, portion of Michigan. Currently, if you go to New York Times, it has zero votes counted. And the reason for this is because it actually had votes counted, but it's a heavily Trump county that a lot of these uh, these counts had going to Biden like 62% to Trump's 38%. And so journalists flagged it and said, wait a second, there's no way that this county is actually going to Biden. So a journalist calls the Antrim clerk's office, it's Antrim County, and the clerk's office said that they're reviewing the numbers, said that there are certainly discrepancies. It certainly seems likely that the numbers were transposed. Trump and John James in the Senate race will see a around 6,000 plus vote gain statewide once this is corrected. It's a staunchly GOP county. Two questions here. Why on earth did it take a journalist to expose this? Why on earth didn't the clerk's office acknowledge this? That, wait a second, we live in a heavily Trump county and it's going 62% for Biden? No way. Secondly, how on earth did this fraudulent circumstance come to fruition in the first place? How did we have a situation in which uh, this could have happened and been so often the numbers be transposed in the first place? Does this mean other counties are in that circumstance? So for Twitter to come in and censor posts like this when they're raising legitimate questions about the validity of some of these results is really, really uh, damaging to the Americans' trust of the electoral process. And that's damage that's hard to win the trust back from. So Important to note that that's Michigan. We will see how this plays out. It has not been called yet either way. They've got some of those votes to take in. And there's a lot of counties too across the state that do not have their uh, vote totals in yet and could really lean this race back toward Trump. We've also got the mail-in ballots to take in account for, so we'll have to see how that factors in as more and more of those get counted. Now I want to do is I want to head to, where do we want to go next? Let's go to Nevada. Lots of votes yet to come in in Nevada, and it has not been called either way. 88% reported. Actually, it's 86% reported is what New York Times has it as. And uh, a lot of these Trump counties still have 10% of the vote to get in. That could really favor Trump. Uh, we also know that Las Vegas, only Clark County, only has 84% of the vote in. And it's not like that heavily favors Biden. He's up 52 to 45 at the moment there. But more uh, Trump votes from the election day is what the Trump campaign is hoping on that actually could lead Nevada in their favor. Let's now head to Arizona. 
I want to read you a scenario out of Arizona. I mentioned some of the problems with Arizona earlier and the fact that Fox called it way too early. The AP called it way too early. Here's why. If 500,000 outstanding votes in Arizona are counted, so that's how many estimated votes there are still outstanding, 500,000, and 65% of those go to Trump, which would not be shocking because that's right in line with about where the day of voting in states like Arizona has landed. So again, these are not mail-in ballots that are still yet to be counted. These are the day of ballots. If 65% of them go to Trump, to Trump, not unrealistic here, given our current situation where Trump is at 1.317 uh, votes, million votes, and Biden's at 1.410 million votes. So I should say the full numbers because it's a very close race. 1,317,468 votes for Trump versus 1,410,977 votes for Biden. Then if that takes place, if 65% of that 500,000 go to Trump, then we see a final result tally where Trump wins one that are 1,642,468 votes, and Biden wins 1,585,000 votes, 977, where there'd actually be almost a 60,000 vote plus win for Trump in Arizona. This is why they should not have called it. That's a very doable situation, and so Arizona is what I'm keeping my eye on. Again, I'm not totally confident that that can happen. There's a lot up in the air, uh, especially if there was any sort of voter suppression efforts with the Sharpie thing, whatever it might be. Again, I'm not weighing that too much into the equation here. I almost want to assume that that's not happening unless they give us proof that it is, and I want to wait for their investigation to come out. But either way, in Arizona, if you've got that situation still on the table to where that's possible... It'd be different if Trump needed 90% of the remaining vote, but that's not the case. 65%, Trump handily wins Arizona, and all of a sudden, this tilts the scale of the election in a big way. So definitely paying attention to that. Finally, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania currently has 80% of the votes reported, and Donald Trump is winning in that state 53.3% to Joe Biden's 45.4%. Donald Trump has 3,068,909 votes versus Joe Biden's 2,609,994 Votes. So that's about 400,000 votes of a difference, a little more than that, actually, 460,000. And we'll have to see how Pennsylvania goes. Honestly, at this point, Trump has a massive lead. It was around 700,000 votes at the end of last night. And these mail-in ballots, it's just going to be a matter of how many of these mail-in ballots go to Biden and can he make up the distance in some of these areas like Philadelphia. We will see. Uh, that's, that's the last race I'm really carefully looking at is Pennsylvania. I mentioned in Saturday, my hope and prayer was that this election would not come down to Pennsylvania. It looks like it truly might, especially depending on how, you know, let's say Georgia goes to Trump, North Carolina goes to Trump, uh, Arizona ends up switching back to Trump. Maybe if Nevada were to go to Trump, I mean, if you have a situation like this, all of a sudden, uh, or let's say you, you give Arizona to the Democrats still, but Nevada were to go to Trump. Georgia gets Trump, North Carolina gets Trump, if Michigan were even stay with uh, Biden. Pennsylvania, if it comes down to Pennsylvania, their electoral votes could make a massive difference. These 20 electoral votes could. So I want to conclude this office, this episode by offering a resource. I highly recommend going to 270towin.com. They have an ability for you to actually use a presidential election interactive map where you can kind of draw your own circumstances. It's how I built my election prediction that I shared on my Instagram. Highly recommend checking that out. It's a very helpful resource so you can play out sort of how these last five or six states fall and what could end up happening, how this election could shift to Trump or to Biden. Honestly, it's up in the air right now. And with so many of the discrepancies, so much that is yet unknown, a lot of the weird circumstances like in Arizona where it's called way too early, but there's actually a lot of vote that comes in from the electoral day itself, the election day itself in Pennsylvania with these mail-in ballots that are, uh, you know, could potentially shift the race back to Biden. Who knows? 
but we are keeping a close eye on it. I am certainly praying for peace in the middle of this chaos and am looking forward to following up with all of you on my Instagram. Make sure, again, you're following me there at Real Michael Seifert so you can keep up with my sort of minute-by-minute coverage of this race. With all that being said, it has been an absolute blast to talk to you all. I cannot wait to speak to you again tomorrow morning for another episode. Hopefully, we will know the results. That is my hope and prayer. If you are not subscribed to the show, make sure you can do that at Apple or Spotify or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with your community. As always, if you did enjoy this content as well, please leave me a positive review on Apple. It means the world. It helps grow the show tremendously with the Apple algorithm. I hope you have a great rest of your Wednesday. This has been another episode of Refining Politics and Culture with Michael Seifert. Mm -hmm.